Good morning. I want to greet each one in Christ's name this morning. Thank you, Tim, for the devotions. I thought it good springboard to my message this morning. Plan to talk about biblical masculinity. Uh, my last message, I talked about biblical femininity, and today I thought felt led to talk to the men. Obviously, as I talked about in the women, to women, it also affected men, and this vice versa. You can't exclude one completely from the other. So, what comes to mind when you hear this term, biblical? masculinity who do you who do you think of in the bible when you think of someone who portrayed biblical masculinity any names come to mind uriah, uriah? someone else daniel, daniel? joseph David, there's quite a few names that came to my mind as I was studying this, and so I'm going to go through some of them you mentioned. Um, King David was the first one that came to my mind. As a young man, he killed a lion, he killed a bear as a shepherd boy. Later on, he would raise up a small army. He would subdue the enemies of Israel. That sounds like masculinity. But he also played the harp. He was a musician. King Saul. You think of King Saul as biblical masculinity? Not if you look at his whole life, but when he was young, they said he was tall and handsome, but he did hide when they came to make him king, so that doesn't really sound maybe masculine the way we think. Abraham. He was a man of integrity and faithfulness most of the time. Moses. He killed a man in defense of his people. In the today's world, that would be considered a man's man. But we also know that he was timid some of the time and was shy to speak. Daniel was mentioned. He stood up for his belief in God even when his life was on the line. To me, that excuses expresses biblical masculinity. Maybe here's one you didn't think of right off, but John the Baptist. He wore a garment of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. To some of you that enjoy nature and hunting and getting out there, fishing, whatever, John the Baptist maybe seems like someone who was masculine but he also was biblical in the fact that he spoke the truth even when it wasn't popular, even when there were those who opposed him. Try to go quickly here. Peter, 
Do you think of him? What do you think of biblical masculinity when you think of Peter? He was often brash and a go-getter, but he denied Christ when his life was on the line the first time. Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, he chased down and imprisoned those he felt were against God. But once he met Christ on the road to Damascus, he was not equaled, I don't think, in his zeal and willingness to die for Christ in his time. And then the ultimate example of biblical masculinity is Jesus. Can you picture Jesus wearing skinny jeans and having his shirt tails out? To me, that is an epitome of where our world is going, even the so-called Christian world today, is the, the problem with effeminate men. And yet, many churches today, if you're not dressed like that, you just don't fit in, or you might not even be welcome on the stage. We, we have an issue today. Very few men are living out biblical masculinity, I believe, the way that God would desire. They either go in one of two ditches. I want to think about it as biblical masculinity is this narrow path and on each side is a very large ditch and I mean very large and it seems like men today Christian men today are struggling to stay on that narrow little path on the top of the ridge and not fall into one side or the other the one side is the and I'm not going to mention his name but someone who was arrested in, in Europe, so you may know who I'm talking about. But many young men today follow him and want to be like him. Fast cars, money, and fame. Many women, that's their idea of a man's man, but that's not biblical masculinity. In the opposite ditch, we have men that are wimpy and like Tim's devotions, they're all about just feelings. Well, what are you feeling today? And um, some of you may cringe when I say this, but I don't believe that God made men to sit around and talk about your feelings. I believe God made women that way, but when they push men to do the same, it does not always, it doesn't usually end well. Yes, we as men are called to be caring. We are to, and we'll look, we'll look at, as we get it later in the message, we'll look at the what, Christian biblical masculinity looks like it doesn't mean that we're just brash and rude and uncaring but at the same time we need to be careful that we don't just go too far the other way of 
not standing up for what's right and being strong leaders as we are called to be. Just as I mentioned in my last message, we need to be careful about not looking at social media to see what a man should look like. A verse that I found that I thought describes what a manly man in the world today is like. Um, Psalms 49, verse 20 in the ESV says, A man in his pomp, yet without understanding, he is like the beast that perish. And I think that's, you know, evolution teaches that we're just on the high end of the high scale, end of the scale of animals. And men today often behave like animals. Just going after whatever pleases, going after whatever they want to do, and they they behave like animals rather than men who have their desires under God's control. Turn with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 2. I do plan to do... Uh, continue my book study at some point later this year in Ephesians, and I'll be looking again at Ephesians 2, but this morning I just want to look at the first three verses of this chapter. As you look for it there, I'll read, Mark 4.19 says, And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in, choking the word and it becoming unfruitful as we think of what the world's version of masculinity leads to. But Ephesians chapter 2, And you he hath quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the, the spirit that now entereth, that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we are all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And that describes, once again, what we see around us. But even many men today who claim to be followers of Christ are struggling. Is that new? I think there, the, some of the extremes we see are new. But I don't think the struggle is new. Just as I mentioned a number of those men in the Bible that we see, both the Old Testament and New Testament, even those who do portray biblical masculinity fail at times. They struggle. And the key is to continue to work towards, to walk towards and strive for biblical masculinity even when we have failed in it at times. People in the Old Testament, people in the New, men in the New Testament were tempted by riches. And if you look, I don't have time for all the scriptures this morning, but there were people that worked, were working with Paul that Paul talked about. They were drawn away by those desires. But the world we look at today is in chaos. 
And a lot of that has to do because of the struggle to understand true biblical femininity and masculinity. Just as we have men that have gone into that ditch, then we have men, like I said, that have gone into the other ditch. There's millions of men today who have been scorned away from anything that appears masculine. They are told that true masculinity is toxic. So how do we balance that? How do we stay on that narrow path between the two ditches and live out masculinity the way God has called us to? Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 18. For many walks of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, who God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working of whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So the first thing I want to look at this morning as a key to biblical masculinity is having our mind on heaven, on spiritual things, rather than the things of this world. Now turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. In this passage, I understand Paul was writing to leaders in the church, especially Timothy. But I believe here we see the, the things that all men, Christian men should be striving towards in their walk with God. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Beginning at verse 1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. So understand. I understand who it's written to. But I believe we can exchange the word there in verse 2. To not just a bishop, but any Christian man. Blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into combination of the devil. Moreover, he must be a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, must the deacons... Once again, exchange that for any Christian man. Be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of deacon, being found blameless. Even so, must their wives be grave, not slanders, sober, faithful in all things. Once again, it says, Husbands and one wife ruling their children in their own houses well. For they that have used the office of deacon well purchased themselves a good degree and great boldness and faith which is in Christ Jesus. 
Here we see a number of points from Paul of what biblical masculinity looks like. Looks like Faithful to your spouse. And if you're a single man this morning, faithful to Christ and pure, even though you're not married, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Do we see here things that are contrary to what the culture around us tells us masculinity looks like? Almost every single one of these is contrary to what the world tells us. The ESV, um, when I was studying this, I thought different times the ESV puts it in more modern English. Talks about not violent but gentle. I'm sorry. Must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Not speaking of being, and I'm my own words, not being a house husband. How many today know of men where the wife is the one out working and the husband is home? I don't believe this is biblical masculinity. Titus 1, Titus chapter 1 also says, beyond the points that we just saw here in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, chapter 3 talks about being lovers of good men or of good things, being just, being holy. Titus 1.9 says, holding fast the faithful word that he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. You say, well, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a deacon in the church. But biblical masculinity will lead you to being a witness for Christ to those around you. It will lead you to be an example to those, a godly example to those around you, even if there are many that are not godly around you. Turn with me now to... uh, Maybe may on the same page, but chapter 4, 1 Timothy. I want to read verses 12 to 16. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer in word and conversation, in charity and spirit and faith and purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy of the laying on the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. If we look back at those men in the Bible who portrayed biblical masculinity, there was an effect that they had on others. It not only brought them to salvation through Christ, through God, but they were also able to save others. And I think that's true of biblical masculinity today. We may say, well, why do I need to do it? What difference does it really make? But I believe that it will will make a profound difference on those around you, those you work with. 
and it'll especially make a big difference for your families, for your children. Turn with me now to Galatians chapter 5. I want to read verses 16 through 26. We see some more keys to what it means to be a a man after God. Galatians 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth after the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. The masculinity we see in today's culture struggles with many of those things. Even if they're not murderers, even if they don't maybe participate in witchcraft, many of those other things are very common today. If there's someone that's looked up to as a man's man, they struggling on many of those many of these areas. So how do we counter that? How do we live differently? And we'll see it spelled out here clearly in the fruits of the Spirit. It may be contrary to us when we think about these things. We go, well, that, that just doesn't sound like much fun. Or is that really what a man does? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Meekness? How can I be a, a man, a true man, and show meekness or temperance? And that temperance isn't just speaking of drink or food. I believe it's of, like mentioned earlier, all those things that we lust after or desire. Do we bring that under control and under God's will? And so we see here some of the important steps to having biblical masculinity is first to be filled with the Spirit and then allowing the fruits of the Spirit to come out in our life. Next thing I want to look at, I read this last time, but I want to look at it again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we have the headship. And it's important to be a, a man and in our position with Christ and in our homes, in our churches, 
we have to be in our correct place in the headship and fulfilling what God has called us to do. Because I read it last time, I'm just going to skip through and just read a couple of verses that I think are important. 1 Corinthians 11, I'm going to read 3 and 4. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying have his head, having his head covered dishonoreth his head. So it clearly lays out where we fall, where we as men fall in the headship. Then moving on to verses 7 through 9, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. For the woman is the glory of man, but the woman, that the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. This passage, obviously, like much of what I said in my last message, is anathema to the world, the culture around us. They reject it. Some of it may be because they misunderstand it, but a lot of the time it's because of their rejection of God. And so this seems contrary to what they want to do. Before you go and get offended because of what the Bible says here, I do want want you to understand that just as the man has his position in the headship, and the women have the woman has her position in it does not denote value and i was trying to think of a good example of this um and for an example i had to think of the company i work for which is like most companies you have the owner at the top of the leadership structure then the company i work for then you have the plant manager Then you have the supervisors, and then at the bottom, what is considered the bottom, you have those that just are operators who actually machine parts. And in the world's eye, those that are at the top have the most value. They go, well, they get paid the most. They must have the most value. But I think we often look at it wrong in the idea that They're not getting paid because they're more valuable than the guy at the bottom. They're getting paid more because they have the most responsibility, the most stress, the most on their shoulders day in and day out. And they often, they don't get paid because they're more valuable. They get paid because they're, they have a heavier load on them. But each person in the company is valuable. And if you think that a company can do without the supervisors or the operators at the bottom, a company will very quickly go out of business unless they're a strange business who don't need the actual people doing the work. Each person is valuable the same way in the headship of Christ. Even though the man has his position and it is in the structure higher than the woman, it does not mean that he's more valuable than her. And that, as men, we need to remember We're not more valuable than our wives, than the sisters. It just means that we have, as I gave the example of the leadership structure, we have more responsibility. And when we stand before God at the judgment, we will have to answer for more because of that. 
but we need to remember what we are called to do. We shouldn't try to shirk that role just because there are those around us who maybe don't understand or disagree with it. <clears throat> now turn with me. The last passage I want to look at today is in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20 through, 22 through 29. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be unto their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his own wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherisheth even as the Lord, the church. So another point, another key element to understanding biblical masculinity is looking at our role as a way to serve, especially those of us that are married men, looking at it as an opportunity to serve and love our wife. Just, as, just, just being in the headship order above them does not mean that there are servants and slaves, but rather the other way around. We serve and love them just as Christ served and loved the church. Now, in closing, I want to look, go back and look at a couple of those men closer here. Um, we look, I mentioned Abraham. He did fail at times. He lied about his wife Sarah being his wife to try to protect, protect his own life. That doesn't sound like biblical masculinity, so why do we look at him as an example? He failed also when he married Hagar to try to make God's promise happen when it seemed that God wasn't coming through. But why do we look at him, or why do I look at him with biblical masculinity, is that even though he failed, he would always come back around to faithfully following God even when there were times when he struggled, yet he faithfully followed God. He kept going. David, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart, and yet he was far from perfect at times. But what can we learn as Christian men from him is that when he failed, he came back to God in repentance and didn't keep sinning. Peter, he denied Christ, yes, at Christ's trial, but he would go on to die on the cross for his own faithful service to God. But ultimately, all these men were just men, and maybe there's a, 
a, a Christian man in your life that you look up to, and that's not wrong. Paul even said at times to those in the New Testament to follow Christ as he follows Christ. But our ultimate example of biblical masculinity needs to be Christ and what he did. He sacrificed everything to come to earth as a baby and to live as a poor carpenter's son. Are we willing to sacrifice everything? He walked many miles, slept under the stars, and he put up with 12 men who were still not filled at that point with the Holy Spirit living in them. I had to imagine it was very trying and discouraging at times. He forgave a man who had betrayed him. If we are truly biblical in our masculinity, we will even forgive those who have wronged us and hurt us. He allowed himself to be beaten, a crown of thorns placed on his head, and in the end to be crucified because he loved us so much. Are we as biblical men willing to do that for our families, for our church, for those in our lives? Because that is true masculinity. The Lord bless each one of you.